You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. I'll invite you to open your Bibles back up to the book of Philippians this morning. I enjoyed last week uh, immensely getting to hear from Jim. We had a good weekend with he and uh, the Ayanadas were the other family that were here. They sat over up front and, and we had just a good weekend uh, talking with them and, and visiting with them. But it required me to fly through what we talked about last week. So uh, in a more frenetic pace than I even usually have, uh, we tried to fly through just this general idea. And so um, I just thought it would be worthwhile this morning uh, to, to go over some of that information again. Um, not, not just because I like to be repetitive, but there is something about what the point that I think Paul is making here and that I wanted to just press into who we are as a church and what does it mean to be the church body what does it mean to be the body of christ and so the text is philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 16 i will read this and then we will get into it philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 16 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain grass withers flower fades word of our God stands forever so, so far in this series, we've been stressing a couple of ideas out of the book of Philippians of what it means to be the local church body. And really, it's, it's kind of following a flow here in the book of Philippians. Paul starts with this prayer, right, that he's thankful to the church at Philippi. He says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's how Paul prays this prayer there in the book of Philippians. But there's this idea, what he is thankful for in them, in this local church, is their partnership in the gospel. And so we've been stressing those two ideas in this series, that a church, for it to be properly a church, is to have a partnership in the gospel. And there are, there are a few things we could go through in detail and be more specific about what it means 
to be a church, what is required to be actually a church, it would probably be beneficial to even do that. But there's a couple of just big ideas that have to be in place in order, there, in order for there to be a real church. And one of them, the first one, is that they have to have a, have to have a partnership in the gospel. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation, the connection, the anchor that they all share. What has brought them into the church is not similar socioeconomic status, is not um, ethnicity, it is not occupation, it is not personality, it is not particular likes. What has brought them together and made them the church is that they all share the truth of the gospel. They all have Jesus Christ known as their Savior. They have become brothers and sisters because of what the gospel has done. They have a partnership in the gospel. But also, because of the gospel, they then have a real partnership a real fellowship with one another. In order to be a church, we must have the gospel as the central driving force of who we are. The message of who Jesus is, the message of, of who God is, first and foremost, as the creator of all things, the reality of who man is as a fallen creature under the wrath of God as sinners by nature and by choice, but then also what Christ has done. Man could not save himself, but he's not without saving because there is a Savior in Jesus Christ. Live the righteous life we should have lived. Die the death we deserve so that every man trusting in Christ, that's the response category, can be saved. That has to be the anchor of the church. But that also needs to have partnership, real fellowship within this church. It isn't just all of us checking a gospel box Yes, we affirm these truths and then we gather occasionally to maybe sing about them and then we go out about our lives and don't bother me the rest of the week. Like for some, the, the dream church is that I get to show up for an hour once a week and the music is spot on, the music's killer and we have a, it's wonderful music and the preacher is engaging and entertaining and funny and charming and you know all the things I'm not but you know all these this this preacher is just a wonderful moment and then we get to leave and you leave me alone the rest of the week that's the dream church for some people but that isn't a church that may have the gospel that may have a true declaration even of who Jesus is but there's no real partnership and Paul is thankful to them because of the partnership that is in the gospel. The reality is that the work of the gospel in the lives of God's people produces a certain fruit. The fruit could broadly be called the mission of the church. It's reason for existence. You can partially know what the church is by knowing what the church does. And so we ask this question, how can we join in the work that God is doing in our world today? And that's where we go on and we see this happening in a couple of directions from Paul in this letter to the Philippians. My big idea this morning, the same one that was last week, my big idea is that we exist to shine the supremacy of Christ into every corner of our lives and onto every corner of our world. 
that there's two directions that this gospel does a work in the midst of God's people. It does a work into them, into every corner of who they are. The gospel does a work in us that we don't just affirm a certain set of truths and then wait for Jesus to come back or to die for them to really matter. Is that, I mean, that's a pretty common, like, imagery of, of or a, a, a characterization of Christianity. Check the box, trust in Jesus, and then just hang on until you die and you get to go to heaven. And that's about the extent of the gospel. You get out of hell and just kind of hope one day either Jesus comes back or I get to go be with Jesus. But the, the church exists to shine that gospel into every corner of our lives. And that's, Paul is looking for that there in the opening, I mean, we, we, in this passage we read this morning. Verse 12, he is saying to them, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more so in my absence. He's saying that when he was there, they were all, Paul's here. Let's shake, everybody sit up straight. Paul's around. We're going to be good, good little Christians because Paul's here. And he's saying, not, not only as in my presence, but much more so in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There is to be a continued work of obedience among them. The salvation that God has worked in them will be continuously worked into them. Worked into them. What does it look like on the ground? Obedience to Christ's commands. There is an ongoing work into every area of your life. It's one of the great working out manifestations, evidences of Christianity is that this gospel is continuously doing work into your own life. Paul in Romans chapter 12 says that the, our reasonable act of worship is to give ourselves as living sacrifices unto God. Present yourselves as living sacrifices unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Romans 12.1 is this idea that all of our life is given to him, not part of it, all of it. You don't, you don't sacrifice a certain section of your life. This much of my life is Christian and then the rest of it is kind of my own. Is this present yourselves, your whole self. It's like trying to offer a, a handful of... Um, a sacrifice and, and only and trying to have it only burn up half of it. You know, it's uh, last night we we put up our tent to not sleep in it because yeah, we weren't going to do that. But we put up our tent and we lit a fire in the backyard and I didn't have a, I don't have a great lumber. I just got old twigs and so we'd make a big pile more of a bonfire than an actual like campfire. But it's like you try to throw a stick onto the fire and only have half of it burn. Well, let me, actually, that can't happen like accidentally. But once the fire gets going and you throw a stick onto the embers, that thing's going it, to, it, all of it is going to be consumed. And so when you give yourself as a living sacrifice, you're putting that on the altar for it, the whole thing to be given to God. The whole thing to be given to God. Psalm 103, actually what Jim had said was a song that we sang, the 10,000 Reasons song. But Psalm 103 starts out singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's Psalm 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all 
that is within me. Bless his holy name. Not some, not part, but all that is within me. Bless his holy name. There is no area held in reserve. The church is to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, even as it is God who works his salvation in them. The gospel is a message meant to work into every area of our lives. This call for confession of sin is not just a one-time reality or a one-time action that happens in the life of a believer. It is an ongoing reality. The mortification of sin is kind of the, the Puritan way to say John Owen wrote a book, book, The Mortification of Sin. But this idea of that sin is constantly needing to be killed. And it doesn't just come from John Owen. Paul is talking about the reality in Romans of killing sin, of putting sin to death. Which is why partnership in the gospel is so important. Why do I care if we have meaningful fellowship with one another. And I suppose at one level you could look at it and think, well, why does Darren really care? I mean, it's actually a decent question. Because, I mean, it's quite simple to just do this on a Sunday and then all go home and live our happy little lives and just kind of keep this thing going. Why do we really care if there's meaningful conversation, meaningful fellowship, meaningful partnership, getting into the nitty-gritty of each other's lives? Why care about that? Why do that? Because it is in those moments of actual fellowship, of actual doing life together, living life together, that you discover all sorts of things about yourself and about each other that you'd never know just visiting every once in a while. It's like the family that you have that you meet, you know, maybe once every other year for like a, a holiday, and you'll show up and you'll have a Christmas lunch and everybody gets along and chatty, you know, and wonderful and that, you know, it's great talking to you, nice seeing you again. Is your relation, and the difference between that and then your family that you live with every day. You know, and your kids, were you ever as a kid, or maybe I should not, I won't pick on any, but you know, you ever go and like, or maybe with your spouse and you say, who are you? <laughs> that was a different person around this group. When we get home, we get somebody different or get the accusation from your kids. Boy, I wish I could have uh, that dad all the time instead of the dad that's actually at home. It's like the phone, you know, the phone personalities we all have. You know, you can be in the middle of an argument or something or bored or whatever and pick up the phone and, hi, yeah, well, and I, and you kind of, where did this person come from? But, but when that that real you comes out in this partnership of the gospel. And that, the real you coming out, it's kind of ugly. It's got problems. It's sad about things. It struggles with things. It has real concerns. It's probably got some anger issues. Probably has some idolatry, some things that it's treasuring more than Christ. It's kind of ugly stuff. But that coming to light is a really good thing. And now our immediate reaction is, no, it isn't, Darren. <laughs> What's best is for me to shove all that stuff into the corner, you forget about it, put all that down, and put on a happy face. That's what's good for me. But the gospel is, is counterintuitive. No, that, what is good is bringing that all to light. Why? Because then in the gospel community, the gospel can actually impact you there. All of this hurt, all of this sin, all of this um, 
anger, all of this disappointment, all of this whatever it is, as it comes to the surface, surface in the middle of gospel fellowship, it is then that we can actually address it. It is then that we can actually talk about it. It is then that the gospel can actually confront it. This morning in Sunday school, they were talking about uh, the passage there in Matthew about worry and, and the idea of, of don't, not to worry, you know, does God clothes the flowers and he feeds the birds. Do not be worried. You are of more value than sparrows. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's sufficient unto the day. Is it is its own worry is the King James way to say that. But all of that, that worry needs to be faced. What's, what, are the, what are the impulses behind you that are creating that worry? And that is why it is so important to have gospel fellowship. Because then your life reality comes to the surface. In the context of a healthy church community, it is then that it can honestly be confronted by the gospel. It's then that you can hear Christ died for you. It's then we're, we're going through a... Um, a, a packet on, in one of our discipleship groups that happens on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. And the issue that we're looking at right now is discussing idolatry, the various idols that you have. You don't even think about it. It's not that we're worshiping little golden calves in various places, but it's treasuring other things more than Christ. And you know what? That's ugly to admit. It's really ugly to admit I'm treasuring success or I'm treasuring material possessions or I'm treasuring my reputation. I'm treasuring whatever it is over Christ. That's ugly to admit. But it is in the admitting of it in gospel community that you're then able to say there's a better promise for you than what your idol is giving you. There's a better hope than what your idol is offering to you. And, that, and that, so that's a good thing. That's why Paul is stressing that this supremacy of Christ gets shown into every corner of your life. Is it ugly? Is it hurtful? Is it um, not glamorous at times? Yes. But it is then that the gospel can actually make a difference in your life and in your heart. And not only that, but then the loneliness and the sorrow, the disappointment, the feeling of meaninglessness can truly be dealt with and ministered to, not just papered over. Christianity is often thought of just being this really good at hiding problems. We're really good at putting a smile on. We're really good about, you know, oh, like even you can take the worry passage in an unhealthy way and just say, I'm not going to worry. Everything's great. And not really facing what's going on underneath. And Christianity gets that reputation sometimes. It's like dealing with carpenter bees. Um, they're really healthy this year. Has anyone noticed that? That carpenter bees, the wood boring bees, you know what I'm talking about? They look like a bumblebee, but they're actually got a, they got a shiny black rear end. And, uh, they're, they're, and they, they'll eat wood to pieces. But if you go out and try to fix carpenter bees by stuffing some paper up in the hole... That's not going to work, right? And in fact, you can even, I was, you can, you can put caulking up in there and that as that dries, they're just going to, the larva that's up in that hole, once it hatches, it's just going to chew its way out either way. There's, you have to actually do the work of making sure that you kill the larva that is in the, the carpenter bee hole before you plug it or you're never getting rid of it. You've got to actually do some deep, decent work. You cannot just stuff it full of paper or paint over it and think that you've done the job. 
That's still in there and it's going to come out. That's still in there and it's going to come out. Or it's like trying to fix cracks in the walls by painting them. You ever done that? Oh yeah, I've done, it a lot. I've done a lot of it actually. I've done a lot of it and it looks great for maybe a month, you know, until the paint dries and then finally that crack is back. Because all you did was just paint. It's a great little veneer. It's a great little covering over the top, but it doesn't really fix the issue. Something more meaningful needs to happen. And when we treat Christianity like painting over the cracks instead of the supremacy of Christ shining into every corner of our lives, when we treat Christianity like it's just a covering, that's what happens. That's what happens. The light of Christ needs to shine into every corner of your life. And it is an intentional life together centered around Jesus and his gospel where this can happen. That's why fellowship and partnership and knowing each other as a church is so important. That's why it is very unhealthy to have scores of people that, that, that are part of the church but not connected to the church. And to have your heart broken for those who are living with Christianity as more of a covering of paint over the cracks of their life instead of meaningful interaction, the light of the supremacy of Christ shining into every area of their hearts. It is a concern for them that they would do the work, have the work done in their own lives of Christ shining into every area. What does it take? Not just relationships, but intentionally Christ-centered relationships. As I've pushed on this desire for our church, I've heard comments from some that, that, they, that there is a lot of fellowship, there is a lot of community that goes on in the church. And I say, good, I hope so. I think that there are a lot of meaningful, long-lasting friendships throughout this fellowship. But I want to make sure that we're turning those relationships into gospel-driven, Christ-centered relationships and conversations. And that often takes some real intentionality. It takes some real intentionality to ask each other how your walk with Jesus is going. To say, what are some issues in your life I can be praying with you about and then praying about them? To say, hey, I read this in my Bible and I thought it was interesting or I thought it was difficult or I don't get this or whatever. And, and actually have gospel-centered conversations. Seriously, I, I want you to apply this in your life right now. This is the practical application in the midst of the sermon. Think about someone in this congregation that you can this week try to intentionally have this kind of a conversation with. That you can honestly say and, and ask them how their walk with Jesus is doing. What are they struggling with right now? What are their joys right now? What are their concerns right now? How can I pray for you? Not how annoying do you think Darren is or how well do you think the church is going or whatever. Let me talk about that later if you want to. But, but to make it a gospel-centered, Christ-driven conversation. Work to apply the gospel to each other's lives. Pray with each other. Often we're so concerned. What if they say something I don't have the answer to? What if we have questions we can't figure out? Will you have an answer to every question? No. No. But that should not stop you from caring for each other and from seeking to have the supremacy of Christ shine into every corner of your life. 
there's a reason, there's, there's a double reason going on here. Part of the reason why we have to get good at having that sort of fellowship with one another is because the world is dying for that sort of fellowship as well. That those conversations that need to happen among us give us the language, the understanding, the empowerment to then shine as lights onto the world. If we can't have Christ-centered, gospel-driven conversations among fellow believers in our congregation, you are never going to have it with your coworker. You're never going to have it with your neighbor down the street. You're never going to have it with that family and member of yours who, who you know is walking away or struggling if we can't have them within each other. That's why we exist in both of these ways, that the supremacy of Christ would shine into every corner of our lives and then onto every corner of the world. It does not terminate just into our lives, but it gets spread onto every corner of the world. That's what he says there in verse um, 15 of Philippians chapter 2, that, the, that they would be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Out in the world, why are they shining as lights in the world? Because they have this sort of gospel partnership, this fellowship. Look at the beginning of chapter 2 in the book of Philippians. Hear what kind of life, or go to chapter 1, verse 27, and look at the kind of life they are living among one another. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, Paul says, so that whether I come and see you or am I absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This unity... This connection they have around the gospel is what empowers them to shine out onto every corner of the world. What is the dream for the mission of the church? And for many in our culture, it is the dream of, of building a good service, building good programs that people come to, and so we can pat ourselves on the back, look around, look at all the people who show up and put a happy face on. Aren't we making a difference in the world? Aren't we making a difference? And for years, that is what churches have done and do, and, and that was a kind of a model of success. But that is not the model laid out for us in Scripture. If you've got your Bible, you can go to Acts chapter 4. And Paul, Luke here writing the book of Acts, and Peter, Peter and John are just getting out of jail in Acts chapter 4. They, they, get, they say, don't, don't speak about Jesus anymore, but we're going to release you. They say, well... You be a judge if it's right to obey men or to obey God. So then they get, they get dismissed and they go to the church. This is Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. Truly in this city they were gathered together. This is still their prayer. Truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel's, Israel, to do whatever your hand 
and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, their prayer, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then therefore all, doesn't say that, but it's implied, all continue to speak the word of God with boldness. It is not the masses who are expected to come and encounter Jesus through his people and their programs, but the people sent into the world so that the world would encounter Jesus through them. As Paul says, the gathered people are to shine as lights in the world. So we're to fight the image that the healthy church is a big program or a gathering, though those things obviously will happen and are fine to have happen. But instead, the heartbeat, the picture of the church is of Christ setting loose so that every corner of the world, every workplace, every restaurant, every neighborhood has an ambassador for Christ living on mission right where he or she live their daily lives. Picture every friend group, every organization that gathers in our community having an individual in it working to shine the supremacy of Christ. That is the church at work in the world, shining the supremacy of Christ into every area of our hearts and onto every corner of our world. Where does that leave us? Questions I asked last week as well. What we ought to be asking, what corners of my life need the reign of Christ? What fellowships do I need to engage in so that, that can be an active work in my life? Christ working into every corner of my heart and what corners of my world need me to shine the light of Christ. And a great place to discover the answer to those questions is in community with each other. Who in your life from this local church body fits the description of that kind of role in your life? And if we really want to work on answering those questions, we must get connected with gospel partnerships, meaningful Christ-centered ways in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would do this gospel work in our hearts. Father, the, the heartbeat here is that I know there is no greater joy. We read that first Peter passage. There is no greater inheritance than you. There's no greater inheritance than obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. You are the treasure that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. And Father, we, I want this church, I want my own heart, I want to be so set upon that as the ultimate treasure that all other treasures of this world fade in comparison to you. And the way that that is pointed out, God, is through the fellowship of the church. So, Father, we ask, do your work in our hearts. Men bind us together in Christian fellowship that the supremacy of Christ would shine into every corner of our lives, that all of us, all of ourselves would be yours, and that, God, that would shine onto this community, that this treasure that is Christ would be known. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.